0: Just when you thought that the lead to this show would be the Flyers' 6-0 loss at Toronto, boy, oh boy, did the Flyers throw us a curveball. Welcome back in to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players' podcast, the prognosticators' podcast, and now, of course, the post-Ron Hextall's tenure as general manager podcast. I'm Russ Joy, who you can find on Twitter at JoyOnBroad. Joined, as always, by the fantastic, the news-breaking the absolute best in the business, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. Anthony, it feels like Groundhog Day. I feel like the news of Ron Hextall's imminent firing was something that we discussed even last week. Odd odd things happening around here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is something we discussed, but I think that we should, um, and what we'll do here on this podcast, Russ, is we will actually, as much as I can, without revealing sources, but... Um, uh, we should take people through the steps of how this came to be, how we came to know about it, um, because it first fell into my lap on Friday uh, while we were at the, uh, uh, at the arena for the Flyers-Rangers game. And if I remember correctly, we didn't actually discuss Hextall potentially being fired in the pregame. Uh, press row show. It was, oh. it, it was after that. It was, uh, I believe, the intermission one when we first started talking about it. And th- the story behind it is, is you know, after we had done our um, uh, press row show pregame, we uh, someone had uh, reached out to me from within the organization. Um, and that's the most I can say about it. i, I got to protect sources as best I can, unfortunately. Um, but Kane said that, you know, you guys are, are, might be barking up the wrong tree as far as the coach. Um, maybe take a look at the general manager. And kind of outlined um, for, for me the process that was being undertaken uh, in the potential to replace the general manager. I mentioned it to you during the first period. I believe it was during the first period, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, And I mentioned it to you, and you were, like, flabbergasted that they would fire the general manager and not the coach. And I said, I know that sounds crazy. (laughs) I I looked at you and I said, Russ, I know that sounds crazy. But considering where I got it from, it, it had to be correct. It had to be true that this was at least being discussed if not already you know the wheels already in motion which they obviously were at this point um, they were already in motion at that time and you know it was asked of me um, when the information was given again in interest of full disclosure for our, for our listeners it was asked of me to not report it early but I was given permission to speculate about it um, so in other words I couldn't put out a story that said flyers are going to fire the general manager, but I could put out a story that says, uh, is it possible that the flyers are considering a change in the general manager position and then kind of provide analysis to break that down. Um, and so I didn't think it was appropriate to really do it following a 4 nothing win. Um, I thought that that would kind of seem cheap because it was a really the Flyers played a really good game on Friday, and uh, and I kind of thought, well, gee, this is kind of silly to to put it in this story. And even though even though we actually discussed it, um, and you were uh, you asked me questions around it, and I kind of you know answered it just in in generalities, but I did certainly answer those questions as possibilities uh, on the intermission press row show. But I didn't want to write about it in the in the um, post game analysis because I thought it was I felt it was cheap to do it there. But after losing to the Maple Leaf six to nothing, I felt like this is the right time to really indicate that the general manager is in trouble, and that's when I wrote it uh, yesterday um, uh, for the Sunday for the Sunday piece, and uh, that post went up. Uh, Sunday probably just before the Eagles game so I'm sure a lot of people might have even missed it um, but it was there um, and, which and is pe- why I,
0: I, I bumped it late last night yeah. as I was getting ready to go to bed I thought you know what like I, I don't know typically the people who listen to our show uh, or read your stuff on the site there there's almost this immediate reaction and it, and it typically comes out from plenty of people and the fact that it, it didn't catch on or didn't seem to catch on via Twitter seems strange to me so I was like, I'm going to put this back out there, and and we'll see if anybody runs with it because it it felt like big news. And for the the people who listen, I mean, there are certain levels to Anthony's excitement when a source comes through with something something. There are certain levels to how seriously to take it, or how it needs to be handled. And when we were sitting down there on on Friday, it was it was one of the weirdest moments I think that you and I have shared together because we. We talked about the fact in that pre-game press row show that, like, this is weird. Like, homeroom being over there is a little bit interesting. Bobby Clark being there is also strange. And that's something that we talked about, you know, weeks ago. It was, it was about two weeks prior to the end of the West Coast Swing. We had seen Ron Hextall and Bobby Clark down in the in the bowels of Wells Fargo having their, you know, conversation and, say, and Bobby Clark saying, I'll see you in two weeks, which coincided with the end of the West Coast Swing. And we talked about at the time that that was probably – we thought based around the, jo- the job the coach had done and any kind of changes that might be coming so this whole thing just kind of felt like it had come full circle then there was the argument of okay well it's a holiday weekend you know maybe these guys all came back up to Philly to to get together to to like do their thing as a collective group like sure maybe that's a thing um, but as as we you know went through pregame went through our show which we did 40 minutes pregame on Facebook live and on Periscope Uh, with plenty of of fan uh, reaction and and questions and everything. When we noted the fact that those guys were over there, it felt strange. And yeah, it was, I think, almost immediately after we stopped recording, you got that info. I went and grabbed a little, I think I, oh yeah, that's right. I relocated because I wasn't originally seated next to you. I moved down, grabbed my M&Ms, did not get popcorn, which was a bad omen for anybody, I guess. Got the (laughs) M&Ms, popped it down next to you. and, And that's where you took a very decidedly exaggerated tone with me. and and we're very much uh uh leaning in trying to lean away from anybody who might be listening in and it felt like we were about to you know i don't know overrun the cia like i don't know it felt like we were trying to you know break into a bank or something yeah what and and the way that you phrased it was what if i told you (laughs) that the the coach is safe for the time being but the general manager is in real trouble and, like, all of a sudden, like, the thoughts that popped through my head were, you know, and, and we, we talked about this, and, and you mentioned, like, we, there was a, a gentle dance that we had to do, I think, in that first intermission show, but, but you know, the, the questions around, if this were to happen, does it make sense? And I said consistently that it didn't seem to fall in line with what this organization is and how they treat their former players and, and the people who are part of the Flyers family. And, and everything about this, to me, ran counter to you know, what's happened. I mean, if we're fair, Paul Holmgren has has been responsible in the past for some of the the poor moves and poor financial decisions, Andrew McDonald comes to mind, of, of contracts that have been given out that I thought Ron Hextall had done a great job of getting the team out from under. And it doesn't mean that Holmgren did a, a terrible job. It doesn't mean that Hextall did a terrible job. I felt like a lot of it was damage control. And to some extent, you know, we've talked about the fact that Hextall is by no means a Sam Hinky, but like if you look at the kind of teams that these guys both came into they were overpaid uh there were overpaid players for a mediocre team with little to no future prospects or future hope and like you know I guess at some point we will kind of do a breakdown of of what Hextall's tenure really looked like and what he did well what he did poorly but the the concept to me as of Friday of them moving on from the GM just didn't seem to align with anything and then it was a question of is it really so much that the ownership or whoever is going to end up making this this choice believes that this is Hextall's fault for not equipping Dave Hextall with the appropriate coaches and players? Uh, th- these were all things that I, I think we had talked about, and and honestly, one of the things that stood out to me is it felt like you know at least with Ian Laparriere, and I'm not sure about Knobloch, but. I don't know how many of these coaches Dave Hextall was actually allowed to fire or to bring on. I don't know if there was an encouragement from Hextall's front office to say, you know, keep the guys on staff that are already here. I don't know if Dave Hextall was ever actually put in position to have full um, autonomy over what's gone on on the bench and in the dressing room. So I don't know your thoughts on that, but we, we, we definitely talked about it and it still feels weird. I'm not surprised that this happened. But it, it just feels strange with the way that it went down.
1: Yeah, it, it was it was strange. And you know, we've been it, this, this isn't like it's not like this is something that we just first started talking about on Friday. We did talk about this prior to Friday, right? I mean, we did we did discuss it briefly, and you know, hey, we can't just look at the coach. We got to look at the general manager too. He constructed this team. Uh, but I think I didn't think that we honestly believed prior to Friday. Um, that this was a real possibility, um, at least not in the in the near term. Um, so Friday was the very first time we had heard about it, obviously. And I, you know, I've been trying to wrap my head around the whole thing um, uh, since then. Um, and it it, it really I, I get it; it makes some sense. But I also think that. If, I, if I'm looking for why it happened, when it happened, as opposed to in the office, I mean, general managers don't usually get fired in season.
0: And twenty-three games in
1: it. Right. I mean, really. I mean, this is that's what this that's what makes this so awkward. So wh- why does it happen also, now? Also, the language of the release, but we'll get back to that. Before. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. But so why does it happen now? Makes me think that this ends up being a decision. Whether it's right or wrong, we'll, we'll find out down the road. But it really makes me think that this is a decision that comes from above Paul Holmgren. I think this is a decision that comes from um, probably Dave Scott, um, who's answering to Brian Roberts at Comcast. And I think it probably has a lot to do with the fact that you're seeing some diminishing numbers with the organization as far as attendance and merchandise and things of that nature. And I was actually having a conversation earlier today with someone uh, saying that it could have happened even sooner if Gritty didn't take off the way he did. Because I think Gritty kind of gave them a little bit of, you know, an unexpected um, positive marketing angle for the franchise. And that maybe bought them some time to see if the team could, you know, get themselves straightened out. But that I think that this is usually decisions of this kind aren't something that is, you know, things that are made quickly. And I think it's funny to compare, you know, saying, "Oh well, gritty was kind of saving Hextall's job." I don't think that, you know, it's it's that specific. Um, but at the same time, I also don't think that it was. Um, it's that far off base either. I, I think that a lot of the decision here is made from a business side of things for the Flyers more so than a personnel side of things for the Flyers. Does that, does that make sense to you? No, it does.
0: Absolutely does. I was just uh, looking back over the language of, of the, uh, the release and I was listening to, uh, to Giroux in one ear and you in the other. Uh, I, I find a lot of this to be strange at, at best. Um, w- let's look at the release really quick. So the wording of it, I thought there were a couple things that were interesting. Flyers president Paul Holmgren's the one who uh, who put it out to the people. Uh, Flyers organization has decided to relieve Ron Hextall of his duties as, as executive vice president and general manager. We thank Ron for his many significant contributions, but it has become clear that we no longer share the same philosophical approach concerning the direction of the team. In light of these differences, we feel it's the organization's best interest to make a change effective immediately. I've already begun a process to identify and select our next general manager, which we hope to complete as soon as possible." The, the thing that I think stands out the most is we no longer share the same philosophical approach concerning the direction of the team. And And I I think we need to, to break this thing down and, and talk about it from, it, where, where did this thing go wrong for Ron Hextall? the fans have wanted dave hackstall's head on a on a platter for quite some time and and i think to some extent like we've we've broken down the reasons why wanting Haxtall fired is is justified but we've also talked about the fact that there have been things that he's done this season that have actually been at least somewhat encouraging, especially with playing younger guys, putting them in positions to be successful. We talked multiple times about his deployment of Travis Sanheim, getting him into situations where he's not up against the, the opposing team's top line, allowing him to find success at this speed and at this level. And like for as much as people hated the fact that he sat Sanheim, he's sat Gutis in the past, it, it's ended up working out. These guys have gotten better. They've developed I don't. Is it a coaching thing? Is this more that the organization is disappointed in the lack of return? You know, coming through the turnstiles. You know, as you just mentioned and, and we've talked about before, the fact that you know the seats might be bought, but that's all lost revenue in terms of parking, in terms of concessions, purchases being made at the team store. Um, is this is this something where the the team as as you know a bunch of hockey guys are disgusted and embarrassed by the fact that? The Flyers have gone through five goaltenders in 23 games. You know, is is it a hockey decision? Is it because Hextall was unwilling to part with his coach? I mean, I, I think if it was that, though, that we would have also seen the coach taken out as well, right? Is it something where Hextall doesn't want to make a trade of a core piece and, and the rest of the organization knows that that's what needs to happen going forward? Like, these are all things that I I can't figure out fundamentally what is the philosophical approach that these guys don't agree on. Do you have any, any thoughts I'll, on, on yeah.
1: that? Yeah, I do, and I think it's I think it's pretty simple. I, I think it's enough with rebuilding and waiting and being patient and taking time and you know, we need to win now. We we've given you three years of mediocrity and we've accepted that and it's now time to win. So do and I think that, that was probably a an edict. That was given to him at the end of last season, and so then he goes into the off season. The only move is JVR. Nothing else is addressed. The other issues that this team really had that we knew at the end of last season was that they needed, they could probably use an you know another goalie. Not to say that Brian Elliott was the problem, but you know you couldn't run, you couldn't go into the season with a guy coming off of a significant core muscle injury, which a, uh just for people who don't really know what that is it's a hernia okay so the guy is a goalie who had a hernia and so when you when you have when you've had a hernia and then you continue to play goalie you're going to have another hernia you're going to have continued problems with abdo, abdom, abdominally and so you really needed a second NHL quality goalie on this team he resisted in bringing that player in the penalty kill was a disaster last year he brought no one in to improve the penalty kill. Um, Though, in fairness, when we
0: interviewed him in the spring, that was one of the things that, that we focused in on was the penalty kill. And the guy that he had brought up, you know, at least internally, was Nick Kubel, who was here, played, what, six-ish minutes? Six to nine minutes, give or take, per game before he was sent down in favor of Tyrell Goldborn. Like, he he did kind of allude to the fact that he didn't intend on filling the the PK role in free agency. He did make it sound more like it was going to be you know, something done he internally. Did. Oh, he was, on- he and was honest so, with us. So, I mean, Rush. he, he very much, he told was told the, he told us the truth. I mean, yeah. he, he didn't say we're looking to free agency to shore up the PK. He brought up the fact that guys would be brought up. He specifically mentioned Nick Abikubel and, and like, ultimately it didn't either, it didn't work or the coach didn't deploy him the way that I think fundamentally, maybe this is a, a, a difference in opinion, but like he didn't deploy him in PK situations and he barely played him in the game at all and he being hackstall all right
1: that, that's that's a side note go on no i mean i so i mean he was on, he was honest with us but he didn't address it whether whether just because he was honest with us and we appreciate that that doesn't necessarily mean it was correct so it was an it was an issue that wasn't addressed defensively they were they were a mess defensively last year and he didn't do anything to address the def, the defensive problems this year and, and we can all sit here and blame the coach. And I do think there are things structurally with the way that Dave Heckstall coaches this team that are you know, inherently taken advantage of by opposition in game. But if, he, if you had better players, maybe that system would work better. But the Flyers don't seem to have those players. And I think that that's the, that was the big thing. Like, Haxtell doubled down on his team on the guys he had on this team. He doubled down on the players that he's brought in here. Because really, when you look at this roster, I mean, how many of them are here prior to, to Hextall? The core,
0: right? That's yeah. pretty much it. I mean, the core- The core who's gone through three coaches. Yeah. Or is on their third their third coach. And and quite frankly, they haven't gotten it done. So when, when fans wanna call for the trade of one of these guys, or they question openly if this core is really the the group to lead this team to the next level, like, I, I don't blame them now, right? Like, something's going to give at some point, but th- over the course of three coaches, you you know what you are. You're a, about a 500 club. Blame the coach all you want. You can, But, like, if you're going to do that, then you've got to go back and, I guess, to some extent, blame Peter LaViolette. You've got to blame Craig Berube, and they have to blame Dave Haxtall. I, I don't know. Like, at some point, do we, do we have to start looking at the players more in this? And, you know, there have been a couple things that I've been somewhat turned off by uh, in, in being down there covering the team, you know, specifically about guys no-showing media availabilities. Now, maybe it's more common. Maybe this is just, you know, me in, in my first go-around not totally grasping the way that things typically work. But there have been a, f- a few core guys who multiple times have been requested, we've been told would be there, and then they, they no-show. And it's not just like it's after a loss. It's also happened after wins. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to hold that against a guy and say that that has any bearing on how he plays on the ice. But, like there there are certain things you know that I think fundamentally are flawed with this team, and it it goes beyond the GM. It goes beyond the coach. And like, I, I don't know. I don't know if if this is going to be the thing that, you know, triggers the the upper management to really give a, a solid look at, is this core group the the group of guys going forward that we need? Is this captain the right guy going forward? Is Jake Voracek a guy that we need to build around? I don't know if it's there. I've already openly questioned the last episode. I questioned the fact. You know the, this younger group that's coming through that is going to be the future of the team. That probably includes guys like Ghost, Provy, TK, um, Nolan Patrick. Like, did those guys sit down and and honestly care what this leadership group has to say? Because either the message is getting lost on the coach, it's getting lost by the leadership core, or to these young kids, it's just like you know they they see the the leadership group as just an extension of the coach and maybe that's why they're tuning them out. But like to go out and get crushed 6-0 by Toronto, that's it's not a surprising result. It's surprising how they got there. I, I'm just continuing to wonder as I you know put together these helter skelter thoughts, like Alright the GM's gone. Now it's down to the coach and it's down to the players. And you know, I, I want to keep breaking down Hextall, but like at some point I feel like that has to be the next thing that we that we take a look at. Not just us, but the rest of the media, the rest of the fan base. You know, if this thing doesn't turn around and I don't really know how much switching GMs is going to change anything unless the next guy in, you know, blows up the core or, you know, makes a big move or, you know, reshuffles the, uh, or the deck in coaching. I, I don't know what we can expect that would be any different.
1: Right. Well, I will say this. I mean, part of the reason that the coaching changes, and this could be head coach or assistant coaches and staff, um, haven't happened yet and i as i you know put in the story that that was published on sunday and i still stand by obviously um that i think that there are coaching changes that are coming um to the staff Uh, i might not be for hackstall but his assistants for sure um they the reason that they didn't happen first is because the way it's done in hockey, and I guess in all sports really, but the GM really gets to choose the people that he has working for him. So if the new GM, whoever it is, comes in and decides he wants to make changes with the coaching staff, he's going to make that decision. So it's not going to be an impulsive upper management decision. That's not to say it hasn't happened before. When Ken Hitchcock was fired uh, in the fall of 2006, he was ousted at the same time as Bob Clark was ousted as GM. Um, Ed Snyder didn't say that Bob Clark was fired. He said Clark resigned um, and that Hitchcock was fired. But the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is that Clark was also fired. Um, Snyder was just protecting Bob because Bob was his... Was his baby in a lot of ways, um, which so is, which is
0: why the language in in this release is so
1: striking. Yeah. So I. So so that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I. I don't think like if they were if they were going to if they really wanted to replace both the GM and the coach, they would have done it simultaneously, right? I mean, this would have yeah. been this would they wouldn't have just said, well, hack, you stay in charge for now, and we'll let the new GM fire you next week. Because then it's like, what the hell's going on with this organization? I think they would have done it in one fell swoop. But I do think that they're going to let the, GM, the new GM assess what is here and then make a determination. So I, that's why I think you're going to see the small changes with the, the coaching staff. But I think they're going to let the new GM assess Hackstall for a bit before he makes a determination whether Hackstall stays as coach or if they go get somebody else.
0: Are there any coaches on this staff that you think are in jeopardy right now? Like, are, are the the most likely one, right, or the one that, that most fans have been clamoring for outside of Dave Hackstall himself, is Ian Laparriere? Do you see a scenario where whoever the next GM is could be Lombardi? Uh, there have been a few other names thrown about that we'll that we'll discuss, but is there anybody who you think is is really legitimately on a hot seat right now? Yeah, as I, I, think Le,
1: I think I think Laparriere for sure um, is. Uh, as I wrote in the, in the piece on Sunday, I think um uh, gets replaced by Scott Gordon, who is the current head coach of the Phantoms, for no other reason other than Scott Gordon has uh, a, a track record of coaching good penalty kills, both at the NHL and the AHL level. So I think that um, that's, that's something that is like, likely to happen. And I think that the Flyers, I know, I shouldn't say think, I know that the Flyers like Chris Knobloch, one of the other assistant coaches, and think that he's a, a good potential future NHL coach. But I don't think that they look at him as a guy that you could replace Hackstall with just coming from an assistant coaching position and having never coached professionally. The furthest he ever was a head coach was with the Erie Otters um, and, and in the junior hockey, uh, and then came right to the Flyers as an assistant coach, and I don't think that they would go from one coach with no experience to another coach with no experience, um, professional coaching wise, that is. Um, so I think that what they'll do is they will send Knobloch down to the Phantoms to be the Phantoms' head coach. Um, the guy that I'm not sure about at this point is Gordon Murphy, who was kind of brought in here with Hackstall. Um, is he a Hackstall guy? Is he a, you know, I mean, he does have a history as, you know, he was a player for the Flyers, you know, back in the, in the 90s. So, you know, I don't know if there's a connection to Hackstall or if he was just brought in by Hextall Is when Hackstall was the GM. Um, so he's the one guy I'm not 100% on where he goes from here. But I do think there will be changes uh, to the coaching staff. And I think it's going to be Perrier out, Gordon comes up, and Knobloch goes down to the Phantoms.
0: Let me ask you conceptually. I I remember bringing this up to you on the Press Row Show, but I don't know how many of our listeners uh, were tuned into that. We had a lot of people tuned in, but I don't know if everybody saw it. So um, when I think of the fact that, that now the GM is gone, the coach is still here, would would I add a line in speculating that perhaps the team had already reached out to a couple candidates, or in theory, if they were going to reach out to candidates, the, the most notable one, the one that the fans seem to clamor the most for is Joel Quenville. Is it possible that they've reached out to his representatives and have just gotten back the feedback that he's not interested, at least at this time? And that's why we saw, maybe that's not why Hextall was the one to lose his job, but maybe that's why we didn't see a joint dismissal of both Hextall and Hextall um
1: it's possible um but I, I don't think that that's the case i don't i don't think that it's that somebody didn't want to come here to coach and therefore it must be something with the makeup of the team and so therefore blame the general manager i really do believe that it's tied into two things. One, they're tired of waiting for winning. And two, it's affecting the bottom line. And until those two and I think that they gave him an opportunity to see if those things could change and when they didn't, that's why it, you know, his head went on the chopping block first. And and they all know it. Every player on every player on the team, every coach on the team, they all know right now that nobody is safe. Yeah. And anything can happen. And I and that could be that could be a message as well. That could be like, all right, this is this is really your last chance. Either get this thing squared away and figured out, or you're you could be gone next. Um, Makes sense. I, so yeah, I really, no. yeah, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with not replacing Haxtell. Um, if it did, if they really wanted him to make a, a move with the coach, I think they would have fired the coach at the same time. Okay. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm looking at you know the the idea that. Everybody's got to kind of look over their shoulder. I'm looking at quotes today from uh, Jig Voracek, which you know we were not down there for. We both have other jobs outside of uh, covering the team. But um, Voracek today said, it's surprising. Obviously, when someone's been fired, it's surprising. I don't know what to say. It's a tough one to make a comment on. He goes on to say, um, if you're in a position that you don't want to be like we are now, anything can happen. Is he going to be fired? Is there, any, or is there going to be any trades? I don't know. It's not really my power. And then he mentions, I have a no trade clause. It can happen to anyone. What happens to Hexy can happen to me. Can happen to any other guy. Obviously, it's something we've got to be aware of. It's not under your control. You just go out there and do your best. I think it's interesting that Voracek mentioned the no-trade clause, almost as if like, I, I don't know, like he has a little bit better job security uh, or a little bit more of a control on um, what his future is than Hexal might have. Um, I don't know. I'm looking and and seeing uh, Van Riemsdyk, who I think maybe a little bit more like I. The, the feeling that I'm, I'm getting from the players is that they don't really seem to care all that much that Hextall was sacrificed to the Hockey Gods. Um, Van Riemseg maybe a little bit more because he was brought back and was given that big contract. He was the one who said it's, it's a bit of a shock to the system and we haven't been as good as we can be as a team on the ice, um, going on to say that, you know, they're going to have to stick together as a team, all that. Um, Hextall said, I feel a responsibility for what happened today. Nobody feels good about that in our room. That being said, I wholeheartedly also meant what I, what I said earlier. I've got a job to do. My job is to get our team ready to go and play a hockey game tomorrow. It, it doesn't seem like there's anybody who seems personally affected by the dismissal of the GM, and it's not, it's not that strange, I guess, in the grand scheme of sports, to see players uh, not caring all that much of a front office guy is let go. Uh, like I mentioned before, I think maybe somebody like James Van Riemsdyk, who was signed over the summer to a, a pretty big deal, is going to have, you know, some level of, of thanks to the guy who, you know, brought him in for, you know, a, a big deal. Um, Hackstall's quotes actually were a little bit more interesting insofar as it didn't seem like he went out of his way to, to thank the GM for, you know, hiring him in the first place. He does mention the fact that he's not going to look over his shoulder. He never has. He never will or never does. Um, it it just kind of seemed like the the team is I, I, like it, oddly trying to rally around the fact that they can go out and control their destiny. But like where where has that effort been all season, right? Like the, what is it? Half of the games this season, the Flyers have allowed four goals or more. Um, that doesn't sound like a team that's that's constantly locked in and, and worried on the, the task at hand in the current game or looking you know merely to the mantra that you know the next game is. Is all that I'm focused on. It's not the next two or three. I, I don't know. Th- this team just kind of seems all over the place. And I, I well, they are. It, it that's the like, thing, Russ. They are all over the like place. It doesn't seem like anybody's really shedding a tear for for Hextall. I don't know. This is They're just all... weird. The whole thing is strange. It feels all disconnected, all discombobulated. I don't like it. I don't like
1: uh, any of this. Well, I'm a little discombobulated too because I don't think Jake Vorchek has a no-trade clause. Have <laughs> <laughs> you read that quote? I, are you sure that's from Vorchek? Because yep. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, and I'm double-checking it just to make sure, like I'm, I'm looking on cap-friendly, the only the only guys who have no-trade clause on this team are Drew. Drew has a full no-movement clause, um, and Wayne Simmons has a modified no-trade clause. Uh, that's it. I mean, no one else. Um, All right, correction.
0: He said, I have no no-trade clause. That was weird. Very strange phrasing. Thanks, Jake. So, okay. Just Dis, disregard what I said before. Voracek does not think mistakenly that he has a no trade clause. He knows he doesn't have one. Uh, that kind of reframes some of this. I remember thinking like that, that does seem strange. I'm glad you pointed that out as well. Yeah. He doesn't have a no trade clause. Hence he has massive value on the trade market. Okay. Yeah. I feel a little bit better now.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's why to me, he's the number one guy that you would move off of this team because he, he's the one that will bring you value. Um, because he signed for for this season and five more after it, mm-hmm. and even though he's got a pretty big dollar figure at 8.25 million, um, by the end of this contract, that will be a, a bargain price, and uh, or bargain cap hit rather. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how the actual dollars break down for each year uh, of of his uh, of his. Uh, salary like i don't know how they they actually break down um but that the cap hit is eight point two five uh each year um actually i'm looking at it right now so here you go so his his base salary this year is seven point two five with two million in bonuses okay same thing next year 2020 2021 his actual salary is 2.25 with four million in bonuses okay Um, And then in 21-22, he gets 7.5 flat. 22-23, 1.25 million base salary with 5 million in bonuses. And then 23-24, 7.5 flat. And I guess the reason that they do that is that it's a way to say, we'll pay you this amount of money, but if you allow us to spread it out, we'll give you a longer term so that our annual average value of your cap hit comes down make sense yeah is that is, do you follow that okay yep. so so that's that's kind of how that that's kind of how that works um so there you go um but yeah i mean back to the back to the point i mean I, you know we're not sitting here talking about you know jake Vorchek's trade value we all know that it's pretty high um the fact of the matter is is that no one is safe at this point we don't know we don't know where the the organization is going to go next we should really is start. It, we should start looking at ge- potential general managers. Um. I, you know, I f- before we do that, really, go quick, ahead. is it strange to you
0: that that nobody who was responsible for the decision to get rid of Ron Hextall made themselves available to the the media today? Mm. Like, doesn't doesn't this seem kind of scapegoating? Like, where's Paul Holmgren? Where where is anybody from upper management to have this discussion? Like, I don't expect a formal press conference to be called, but like, no, like nobody's going to be around nobody's going to make themselves available like why should it only be on the coach and and the leadership core to answer questions
1: i'm going to give you an answer okay I, i don't i don't i'm not saying this justifies it but i think this is this makes sense as to why this happened this way so the team had a practice today and Players and the coach need to be made available to talk about this. I mean you have to get response from these guys. They don't want them to talk about it on a game day. And if you wait till tomorrow for the players and the and the um and the coach, now you're interrupting with uh, interrupting the game day routine. Um and and the reason I say that is because if you if you make the announcement today and, and Holmgren is gonna speak then the, player, the media is going to be... That's all the media is going to want to worry about. They're going to want to worry about the who, the where, the why, the how. Holmgren and Dave Scott. Those are the guys that they care about, right, for this story. So the players and the coach become secondary. And then you don't want to have them talking about it on a game day. So you basically say, let the, let them get the player and the coach today. We'll take the game day. And then we'll talk about it that way. That's If I'm just trying to piece together the rationale for why it was done this way. That's how I get it. That's what I come to. All right. Does it make, is it, is it the best way to do it? Maybe not. I guess it makes
0: sense, but I no, I don't like it at all. Yeah. I, I just think you, you get out in front of it and, and you show again, like that to me is almost like a show of disrespect for not making yourself available. I don't know. I feel like the organization has been so tone deaf this year. In in a lot of different ways, and we've had multiple multiple season ticket holders, either tweet at us or tweet at the team and, and tag us in it. That we we have multiple season ticket holders that are claiming they're going to get rid of their season tickets. We've had multiple season ticket holders say that this year has been the most disappointing, as evidenced by the fact that nobody wants to buy their tickets to a single game. The value that they're getting for it is is the le- is the least amount of money they've they've gotten in recent years. I you know we we can even go back to gritty. You know, having a mascot, great, but like people, for as much as people like Gritty, I think they'd rather see a winning hockey team. Oh, great. Right? And so I, I just, I feel like there's this, this strange disconnect that's existed between the, the upper edges of, of the organization, even with the coach, uh, all the way down, you know, to the, to the clubhouse leaders. And, and I guess to some extent to the fans, there's just, there's a cognitive disconnect. It doesn't, there's no vision. As of right now, that we've been able to say, at least going into the season, it doesn't feel like there's been any sort of vision of how to make this team more competitive and how to get the fans engaged uh, with either liking their, their players more, uh, getting them to buy into whatever the 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 vision had been from Ron Hextall, and and now like <laughs> I I don't know, man. I'm I'm just looking at this thing, thinking, all right, you know, they finally made a move. I just don't know if it's the right one. And I, and I don't see a scenario where this team ends up playing any better. It's not like they're going to go out and be galvanized, you know. Oh, go out there and win it for Hexy, you know. Let's go on a three-game win streak, you know, win it for Hexy. He, uh, he got he got axed for our mistakes. Like, I don't see it. I really don't. I feel like it's just as likely that the team goes out and lays an egg tomorrow as it is they go out and have a decent performance. Yeah, well,
1: I mean, and I don't disagree with you on that because I will tell you that if, I, if you go back, I mean, I remember, you know, first games of a lot of coaches – um were terrible <laughs> the team just got obliterated it i, I you know when, it's when there was a coaching change in season like if i i remember when uh uh i think it was when Lavi came in i think his first game as coach they got blown out i think it was eight to two by washington um and he was replacing john stevens who was a well-liked coach by the players um and I think that that was an example of uh, the team not, you know, just wasn't right. I mean the team they, they came out and they they got their butts kicked. And I think when Lavi was fired and Barubi replaced him, um, I'm pretty sure their first that first game was also a bad result as well. So it, it, it tends to happen. Like the players don't respond necessarily well to to change. Um, yeah. And so I you know I, I don't I don't disagree with you there. And it really, I think it really depends on who the new GM is, as to what the approach is going to be. Do you do you bring in a general manager who's going to come in and say, "Yeah, uh, the way I look at things, it's going to take you know another couple seasons to get this right," or do you bring in a general manager, it can't happen. or do you bring, it
0: fundamentally can't happen, or do
1: you bring in a general manager? Well, I mean, I mean, the guy could come in, whoever it is, to come in and say, "Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of holes that need to be filled here, and I will do them as fast as I can." But I can't promise you that they're going to be done right away. I mean, and that's that's fair, you know. I think I mean, it's that's fair, but like if, if they bring somebody
0: into who says like it's going to take two years to turn this around, then like what difference is that than what Ron Hextall was giving you? Like if yeah. if, if upper management was unhappy with the fact that there's not winning going on right now because of promise of like what could happen down the line, you wouldn't it make more sense that your your next hire is is going to try to go out and maybe make the Neilander move? Right. Or like try to do something to get some kind of lifeblood back into this team. I mean, I, I don't I don't see any kind of a, a plausible scenario where the next guy in doesn't blow something up and, and do it pretty quick. Yeah. Well, otherwise, it, like, yeah. OK, you you've gotten the headlines now. You now have, you know, the casual fan coming back in and saying, wow, you know, I can't believe they got rid of one of their own, which I think is going to be more of the, the overriding sentiment or um, mentality here from from casual fans as wow, Hold on not only did they get rid of Hextall, but like you read the press release and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right. It feels like there's a, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, it's, it feels like somebody's jaded in, in reading the wording of it. If you're a casual fan now, you say, wow, you know, Hextall was a flyer. He was one of those guys. Is this the signaling of them going outside of the organization and, and really fundamentally changing what's been done, what business as usual has been for the flyers for years? And I think that would also kind of fly in the face of what Hextall actually did. I don't feel like he did a ton of, you know, what we've gotten used to, which is you sell, you sell the young guys off to go for all in moves for, you know, an early playoff exit. Like that to me is what being a Flyers fan was for a long time. And for better or worse, and obviously in his case, job security wise, for worse for Hextall, the the idea of building to something that's long-term sustainable and doesn't get you into financial hell, like that That, to me, is him going totally against the grain. So I, I don't know. It's almost like if you go with somebody who's fundamentally different than that, you're actually just going back and and running back what this team and this organization had been for ten years, right? Like I, it's like you, you're gonna clean house, but but it's really going back to the old ways. That's at least the way that I view it. Maybe
1: I'm wrong, yeah. um well, the other thing I was going to say was the other option is just that that the guy that they bring in here. Is a guy that's like, okay, I think we can get this turned around quick. Let's go, and 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 then tries to turn it quick. And that's so, like, the what other is it, option. trading,
0: trading like young guys, like trading Sandheim for like a vet who's got eight, ten years in the league that they think is going to be a, a better <laughs> impact, you know, top six forward or something, and and like that's that's going to be the move.
1: No, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I think that. You know, it really, that's what I'm saying. We have to wait to hear what the general manager, who the general manager is, and what his philosophy is, before we can really determine what he's going to try and do. Um, maybe he sits there and says, "I think we have a lot of the pieces we need. We just might need one or two more, and we might have, you know, um, we might be able to figure it out. And, and this is how we're going to do it. And um, and yeah, and we'll take it from there. I mean, that's." That's kind of where it's at, you know, and, and so I, I really can't I really can't say one way or the other until until we really see who the next next GM is and what he has to say.
0: All right, let's take a look. Who are let's say two or three of the top most likely guys to replace Ron Hexall? They already have one in house, perhaps two, if you include Pryor as somebody who could potentially get a look, maybe, right? Yeah. Um, um, and Dean Lombardi is is here, who um, Hex or Hextall had previously served under out the LA Kings. Those guys are within the organization. There are a couple from outside as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, I think Dean Lombardi is the leader in this race. Um, I guess the the hard thing with him is, do you accept a job to replace the guy that you mentored to get to get the job that he got? I mean, when you think about it. I mean, Dean Lombardi took over the GM. Dean, Dean worked for the Flyers years ago uh, in scouting, got the gig at L, with the Kings as their GM, brought Hextall out to LA. Um, if you remember, it was the whole Flyers West thing, like he, all the people that they were bringing out there, John yep. Stevens and Terry Murray, and uh, traded for players that played for the Flyers. It was the whole Flyers West thing. But he brought Hextall there uh, to you know, be his apprentice in a lot of ways and um they won two stanley cups and then hextall gets a gig on his own and now you now if you're dean lombardi you know hextall rehires you after you get fired from the kings as a senior advisor which is just a you know pretty much an easy paycheck do you then take the position to replace that guy you know what i'm saying it's kind of it's kind of an awkward situation um so i I guess that really comes down to dean lombardi Um, but i have a feeling that's who paul holmgren wants in the position. Once a GM who has won Stanley Cups recently and knows how to, you know, succeed with a team, and this is why I think he's he has a step up over most of the other guys, you know, the LA Kings were at the forefront of the analytics movement um, in, in hockey, and Dean was the GM who oversaw building a team to win a Stanley Cup rooted in a lot of those advanced statistics like Corsi and um, uh, you know, goal expected goals and, um, you know, high danger chances and the like. And I think that, you know, if you look at that and say, well, this guy won two Stanley Cups by with a team that is built that way, the Flyers are certainly built that way. Um, they're lacking in goaltending. They're lacking in a little bit of team defense, and they're lacking in grit. I mean, I, I hate to use that word, but they don't play hard. Like They don't play a hard physical game. Um, and that's what's that's missing. So do you say to Dean find us those repl- things and then make it work with what we have because we do think that there is something here that can be successful. Then maybe Dean says yeah and, and that's and that's that's what Paul Holmgren wants. If Dean Lombardi n- decides nah he doesn't want to be part of that and doesn't doesn't think it's you know feel kind of weird about it. Then you look outside the organization if you know I, I don't think Chris Pryor's the guy. Um, Either, Um, I know that he eventually wants to be a GM somewhere. Uh, I don't think he is the guy right now because I don't think that he would come in and just suddenly have the, 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 you know, the cachet to turn this team, you know, into an instant contender. And if you look outside, some of the names that have been mentioned, you know, Ron Francis, formerly the Canes, who was with the Carolina Hurricanes, was their GM for the previous four seasons, and then was. It was a weird thing what happened with him in Carolina he was promoted he was removed as the gm in march and promoted to president of the team sounds like uh paul hungren right right and then a month later he was relieved as president so it was like it was weird it was strange and the story that got out since then was that carolina was trying to do things on the cheap that they didn't want to have to pay big money for management and coaches so they wanted to kind of do things on a on a shoestring budget and so that's why francis was removed but francis in a lot of ways did things like homer did Um, if you look at at his track record as gm drafting a bunch of young defensemen and getting them you know yeah, getting them into the nhl when they were ready and and building from that building that way out um so you know there was a real patience level in carolina too uh, you probably get away with it a little bit more in Carolina because it's not a major market. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, it, it, it's not too different of a general manager than what you had here. Um, the other name is Chuck Fletcher. Chuck was an assistant GM under Ray Shiro in Pittsburgh um, when they won their cups. He then went to Minnesota um, and uh, was the GM in Minnesota. Um And uh, he's kind of looking for a gig now, too. Um, I don't necessarily think he, again, he's another guy who really moves the needle. Um, So I I think you're looking, I think that's why Lombardi's really the guy that they want, because he's got two Stanley Cups on his resume as a general manager, whereas these other guys don't. And I think that 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 kind of sends a message that we want to win, and win right away, and win as soon as possible.
0: We'll just wait, you know. If uh, if Dean Lombardi ends up getting installed or installed, then uh, don't forget you have Daryl Sutter out there who uh, happened to win those Stanley Cups for the Kings as a <laughs> coach. I can't, I can't imagine that could happen, right? Then it becomes Kings East, right? There you it doesn't go. Become more go Kings East. Flyers than, West to Kings flyers East, west, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, my kids are absolutely going nuts. I think. If you can hear them screaming, I think they just found out that Ron Hextall has been relieved of his duties. They were both big Hexie fans. So this is uh, this is traumatizing to them. Yeah. There were a lot of questions that we got on uh, on Twitter. Let's get to a few of them really quick before – oh, my God. Before we head out, um, wow, 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 wow. There's a ton. Oh, my God. My mentions are ridiculous. Okay. Okay. Um, First question came in – well, like <laughs> – one is actually a comment to, to you, Anthony, by uh, at Philly sports fan who said, I guess Anthony was on to something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you think? <laughs> um, let's see. We had uh, multiple requests for a, uh, um, a podcast tonight. Um, Dr. Janitor, right, the at The Maniac on Twitter Said, uh, shame more people don't realize how great the coverage you two provide is. Snow the Goalie is easily the best Flyers podcast in the city. Um, so that was that was a comment. Uh, <laughs> Roar68, who's like our number one fan on the Press Row show, sent a picture of Dale Weiss, uh, Dutch Gretzky, as it were, uh, with the thumbs up. Uh, all right, here's some actual questions. So Joe Stringer had asked, What names are available on the GM market? Which we we talked about. Um, uh, let's see, Ted Lieberman. Uh, enjoys the fact that I've gone heel now, apparently, by uh, saying that people should be pointing out the fact that you were the first one on this. Um, Chris Naffy, at Chris Kringle, 1977, says, what are the specific reasons for the firing? Who is the frontrunner for GM? What becomes of Hacksaw on the staff? Can we expect trades? And can they please ret- refrain from hiring former flyers? I think, like, we, we hit on most of those. The only thing that maybe we didn't talk about is the specific reason for the firing. And, I, you know, I think... Oh my god, they're insane. Um... I think maybe more than anything, uh, I think there are going to be a lot of people, and I've I've seen a few people that we're down there in scrums with a lot, who I don't know how plugged in they are to the organization, but they're saying that they they are pretty confident it's because Hextal refused to fire Hextall. But based on the timeline of the information you received and knowing a few other things that had been brought up as potential moves, I I just don't think it was a refusal to fire Hextall. This really does seem like the organization had soured on, on what Hexy had done. Or I guess in some instances what he had not done, right?
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't buy into the they wanted him to fire the coach and he wouldn't and he died on that hill. I don't. I don't. I don't buy into that completely. I really don't. Um, I, I. I just. I really think that it has more to do with you know the things that I said that it, it's taking too long. They're not winning, and it's affecting the you know. Wells Fargo Center used to be a guaranteed sellout. They used to announce a sellout every game, and now they don't even announce the attendance anymore. That's how, that's how it's gotten to the 16, point where 000. they they don't even announce the attendance anymore. Um, and so I think that that's those are the reasons why Ron Hextall is out of a job today, not because he wouldn't fire the coach.
0: Here's a good one from Joe Plaza at J E Plaza fourteen says uh, it seems like Team Lombardi is the odds-on favorite to take over for Hextall. I think he'd be okay. Um, as long as he doesn't pull the same crap he did at the end of his time in L.A., like Voinov, Richards, bad contracts, would he be your choice? And and will or should Chris Pryor get a shot? You mentioned Pryor already. Um, When you look at the Voinov and Richards situations and bad contracts that Lombardi gave out at the end, do you think it's something that he could even potentially get himself into? It doesn't seem like there's anybody. In terms of bad contracts, it doesn't look like there's anybody who's really up for a new deal that could be overpaid. The only real notable free agent the team has is a guy that we've talked about plenty of times, which is Wayne Simmons. And I, I just don't see the organization deciding to extend him, especially for big money at the end. Is there anybody that he could theoretically run himself into an issue with?
1: Yeah, no. Um, I I think that what has to, what people don't realize sometimes is when you're a championship team and you're trying to win repeat championships as the LA Kings were able to do, um, a lot of times you have to pay guys or, you know, take on a bad contract in order to continue that, to try and win within that very limited window that you have to win. Um, and so, I mean, Dean did some really good things early in his tenure with the Kings, and it led to those two cups. And he did make some bad choices at the end of his time in L.A., which led to his firing. But I think that that's ultimately kind of the the progression of, of a general manager, um, especially one that gets success early. Uh, or that gets success and then all of a sudden um, doesn't have success well why did it not why did that happen there were bad relationships with people bad contracts whatever the case might be that doesn't necessarily mean that dean lombardi was a bad general manager it just means that he he couldn't figure a way to sustain it beyond the window that the kings had um, and that, that's what i guess separates a great gm from just a good gm um, and and so in that regard i think that you know flyers have a lot of cap space dean would not be facing you know the the notion of signing existing players to bad contracts that would probably be something that you would worry about in year four or five of dean lombardi being the gm um as opposed to now um as far as chris Pryor, I, look i'm a big fan of chris Pryor. we talk you know regularly he's a, a very good assistant gm i think he's excellent as a talent evaluator and for you know really having his finger on the pulse of the of the uh young players and prospects and you know he gets out to see them and, and like I think that's his strength and in that regard I, I'm not certain that he would be the guy that would get an opportunity here um and maybe that's unfair you know he, you do a you do a job well enough you know why would and if you're the president and Paul Holmgren or you know the ownership of the team and you say well oh, this guy does a really good job with this why would we want to take him away from that to put him somewhere else it's kind of it's kind of you know um it's kind of a disappointing situation where you're, you're too good at what you do to be worth going some you know being moved in yeah. some other way so I, I you know I don't think Pryor is a guy I, I think that he'll yeah. get I, I think he'll get an interview because out of respect but I don't think that he's the guy
0: All right, Uh, next two questions were related to Joel Quenville. Uh, Mike Cassetto said, I think ownership did the right thing. They gave Hextall a lot of latitude over his five off-seasons as GM and it was comforting knowing they won't stand for problematic trends that repeated... Uh, repeatedly went unaddressed. Do you see a realistic chance that Joe Quenville will be here? Uh, Mike Mack actually went further than that and said, is there any chance of Joel Quenville getting a Patrick Wadd type offer of coach and senior VP of operations? I think we can probably shoot that one down almost immediately. Um, yeah, I,
1: I, I don't, you know, I can't say with any certainty anything about Quenville until I know who the new GM is. I, I don't know. Um, I don't think Quenville is going to be here. Um, but at the same time, you know, depends on who the new GM is and what the new GM says when they finally give him give him the title, because I think that will be much more indicative of the path forward for the team and the organization than you know us speculating at this point. I, I wouldn't shut the door completely on a possibility of Quenville, but I also wouldn't say that, oh my god, whoever the new guy is, that's the first phone call he's gonna make. Um, I, I, I just gotta see I gotta see who the GM is first before we start figuring out how much longer Dave Haxtell has as head coach here.
0: All right, I'm going to combine uh, two questions, one from uh, Jerry Temple and another from uh, Dr. Janitor again. So Jerry Temple had said, what's the GM's most likely first course of action? Find a suitor for Simmons, address goalie situation, remove current coaching staff. Dr. Janitor actually had said, uh, do you believe the new GM will bring up heart given the goaltending circus going on, or does he allow him to continue to develop at the AHL level? Um, I... Th- In in my mind, I don't see Carter Hart coming up. I don't think it matters who the GM is. He's found such a a hard time, I think, adjusting to the AHL. Uh, At this point, he had nearly four goals against average uh, going into, I believe, a couple nights ago. He's had a a hard time finding his footing. I certainly don't think that the organization is going to look to thrust him into the spotlight. I would be more apt to thinking that there's a possible trade maybe for somebody like Sergey Bobrovsky, which we had talked about uh, on the Press Row show, the cap hit's not that bad. Knowing that going forward, you know, he could cost anywhere from 8 to $9.5 maybe against the cap uh, for the next few years. That might not be that attractive to fans, but, you know, if you're looking for somebody to really be the bridge to Carter Hart and has proven that they can succeed in Philadelphia, Sergey Bobrovsky, you could certainly do worse,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, the way I look at it is, is Carter Hart's gotten off to a really slow start in the AHL, and that's not unsurprising because you you try and play a certain way um, in goal, and um, it it doesn't, you know, you you think that you can get away with some things and a certain style uh, that you played in, in the Western Hockey League in this instance and, you know, in junior hockey in general, and try and do that at, you know, at the AHL level, and you realize that there is a significant difference between the talent level at the AHL and the talent level in the junior hockey. Even though it's a minor league, it's significantly better. The AHL is significantly better than the Western Hockey League. And so Carter Hart is struggling through 12 games, really not looked good. That doesn't mean that he's, he's going to not be a good prospect, but it's also evidence that he's not ready to come up in, into the NHL level and may not be until after next season, for that matter. It really will depend on how he goes the rest of this year. But I mean, I could see him struggling for much of this season and then getting his, really getting his feet under him next season in the AHL. And then being ready for uh, the nhl the following season so if that's the case do you trade for a guy and then sign him to an extension um, or do you just wait till the off season and bring in a guy like bob broski i think bob broski probably will be looking for three to four years would you be comfortable with um carter hart backing up bob Brodsky for a couple years
0: yeah i made I mean, that that's that's the, argument to you the other day that's like, the I th- question i think that's actually the better way to go about it i'd i'd rather see them have somebody here on a on a contract three four years and then Carter Hart gets brought up and has the ability or the the potential to outplay the starter and, and gain it by virtue of outplaying the guy that's making more money rather than being in a situation where you thrust him into the spotlight before he's ready. I think that's yeah. that, that's more likely to set him up for long-term
1: success. Um, and, to answer, and to answer Jerry's question real quickly, I think that the very next course of action is to uh, change members of the coaching staff. I think that's the first thing that happens.
0: Okay. Um, Adam Graff asks, any truth to the idea that Pronger will come back to the organization either as an assistant GM to learn under Lombardi or take over the show on his own? Can't I imagine don't... that he comes in and, and takes over right away.
1: Right, right. But there has been talk that, you know, Pronger wants to get into uh, management um, and that he's looking for an assistant manager role. Um, I, you know, could I see him coming here? Yeah, I could. I mean, Paul knows him really well. Uh, Dean knows him really well. Um, I, I think that that's a, a potential possibility. I'm not saying it's better than 50% by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, um, this is purely speculative. I have no, uh, no insight to this, but I do know, other, other than knowing that Pronger wants to get into management, um, and I think that it's, it's certainly something that, that could happen, but I don't necessarily believe that it, that it will, at least not right away. Okay. Um,
0: last question. Uh, that I think we can get to before uh, my house implodes is by hashtag fire Hextall tour 2018 at Ed Cal who says, would this experiment have possibly had a different result if Hextall went with a more veteran coach like he did in LA?
1: Yes. Yes. I, 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 mean, absolutely could have ended up differently because I think, I think you would have seen less, less patience with the way things have been going and um, from the coach, not, you know, I think, I think, the, the, the frustration that everybody had was that there was not no change was made and that it was the same thing night after night. and that's not just the general manager, it was also the coach. But I think if you brought in a more veteran coach, a more veteran coach wouldn't have sat there and, and been as patient with what they were doing. They would have tried something new a lot sooner. and it could have blown up or it could have uh, brought more success. Either way, I think it would have been a different outcome and a different result. And affected uh, Ron Hextall, you know, his how he was perceived as a general manager, one way or the other. Okay. Um,
0: all right. <laughs> Anything else pressing that you wanted to get to that we didn't uh, we didn't hit on? I think I think we probably covered everything, right? Yeah, I think we got everything. I think um, we got real everything. quick before we go, we do have three new iTunes reviews with five stars. Uh, we're only going to go with one today. We'll we'll spread the other ones out for we got the, three? the Next the next show. Do you want me to read all three? Yeah, you know what, because we might end up getting some new ones after this episode. Yeah, go three. Uh, Uh, First one is by E Young, 3888, the only Flyers podcast, not really. Five stars. Love the pod. Keep it up. Uh, Tom Three Putt, Philly passion balanced with objectivity. Ooh, I like that title. Unlike traditional Philly sports talk, Anthony and Russ have realistic expectations to go with their passion for the team. As a lifelong Flyers fan, I enjoy the nostalgia and behind-the-scenes stories. Soldier on, boys. The cup drought will eventually end. Here's Here's hoping, Tom. Uh, and finally, oh, this one's are you sad. are you
1: pa- are you passion and I'm objectivity? Is that how that works? <laughs> I don't know, man. I
0: think we're I think we're both a little bit of both, right? Uh, and then the last one by Hexfly27. I hope that's not a reference in any way to uh, the now departed Ron Hextall. The uh, review went up. Let me check the date. It went up yesterday. Uh, second best Flyers podcast. that How's that possible? We're the only Flyers podcast. Whatever. Five stars. Um, Anthony is great, a little arrogant, but provides great insight and is knowledgeable about the team and players. Russ is good. I would just ask that he shortens his tangents. He will just keep going all over the place. That's true. That's part of the beauty of Snow the Goalie. So uh, in other words, what
1: what he's telling me is I I um, I need to back off a little bit and find a way to prevent you from going on too long. Got it. You need to prevent me from ranting, and you
0: also need to be more humble about the fact that you were literally the only beat writer in this town who called their shot as early as last Friday, and it happened. Everybody else was looking for Hackstall to be fired. Everybody else was writing stuff up about how can the coach survive. Everybody else, if they even had begun to hint at Hextall, it was merely, a, he'll only lose his job if he refuses to fire Hackstall, which is certainly not what we have, uh, have gleaned from the situation. So, uh... You know what? I think you have the right to be a little bit more braggadocious than usual, Anthony. You are the <laughs> one who nailed it. You were right before anybody else. And that, my friend, is why you're the best in the business. So, Thank you, my friend. So uh, for Anthony, the undisputed number one beat writer in the city of Philadelphia for Philadelphia Flyers Hockey, uh, you can find him on Twitter, as always, at AntSan Philly. And uh, I'm Russ. His his uh, humble, long-winded co-host, you can find at Joy on Broad. Don't forget, if this is the first time you've listened to the show, or if you've been a faithful follower this whole time, uh, go check out our uh, our show. Uh, make sure you subscribe to it in either iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. If you go into iTunes, to Apple Podcasts, whatever, and leave a five-star review, that would be great. That helps us climb the charts. And of course, we are the Only Flyers podcast, so uh, make sure you get the word out about it. And just for fun now, for pos- for posterity's sake, go back and listen to our, our interview with the uh, former Flyers GM Ron Hextall that we did back in the spring. And uh, let us know if you if you got the feeling that he was telling us the truth all along, which I think he was. So that's exciting. All right. I think that's pretty much it yeah. for uh, for Anthony. We'll be back again uh, maybe later this week. I think definitely later this week uh, with some more recaps of, of how things have, uh, have gone. So make sure you check us out a little bit later this week. For Anthony at Ant San Philly, I'm Russ at Joy and Broad. Thanks again, as always, for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon. Rest in peace, Ron Hextall.